So today we're kicking off a new series called Inheritance. That, was, that shouldn't have been that difficult to get out. I was like, what is it called? My brain was freaking out. Uh, we're doing a series on inheritance. So over these four weeks, we're looking at kind of different things that kind of God has for us uh, and all that kind of jazz. That's going to be really good fun. Um, if you're here for the first time, on the tables, we've got like these, we're so glad you're here cards. If you're able to kind of fill that out, we've got a pretty cool gift for you that we'd love to um, give you. <laughs> I love how Andre just held up the card. Like, yeah, you should have held it up and just done like the, the boxing ring walk, you know, side to side. I don't know. Um, that was pretty cool. So today we're looking at Psalm chapter 50. So we're kicking off this series, Inheritance, and the thing I couldn't get out of my head all week um, was this verse that gets said time and time again. It's been said to me like a gazillion times throughout my life growing up in church that never meant anything to me. And I just couldn't get it out of my head all week. So I thought, let's have some fun with this. Let's see where this goes. And then the more I kind of got into it, the more I regretted that I'd already fully committed to doing this verse. <laughs> and then you're getting late at night last night and you're like, oh, Lord Jesus, why, why do you hate me? And um, so we're looking at Psalm 50. The, the verse I'm talking about is... Um, and you must have, like, if you've been in church for, like, more than maybe four Sundays, you'll have at least had one person say this to you. Like, if you've been for longer, you've heard this multiple times. It's like, they'll give you, like, a little fist bump on the shoulder when things are going tough, and they'll say, don't worry, he owns the cat on a thousand hills. I, I don't know, I don't know if you've ever had that moment. I remember as a kid growing up, that encouragement before GCSEs, I, that didn't help me. Um, a different stage of my life. Good or bad, people have said, hey, he owns the cat on a thousand hills. And I remember kind of thinking at the time, like, that's great. Don't want to get into farming. Not really that fussed about that. Like, that never really, never really hit me. And the, the idea is that, obviously, that's a lot, that he has a lot. And he has a lot, and so I should be encouraged that he could provide for me. But for me as a kid, it was always like, well, if he'd maybe said something like, well, you know, he's got... He's got, he's got tech startups all over Silicon Valley. I've kind of been like, there's opportunities for me. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, but when um, this statement was said, it was really profound and it was um, a really kind of meaningful uh, uh, thing. Jody and I had the amazing pleasure, not this December, the December before, we were chilling with my, my best mate in San Antonio, Texas, Pastor Zach White, and he just put on the greatest time for us. Like, we got to go to a friend of ours. They also have the most amazing surname of all time, the Greys. Um, and it's with an A as well, like Jody and I, which means they are just dope. And we went to their home and they were preparing like this cool evening for us. I've got to say, this was probably one of the best days of my entire life. It was just absolutely amazing. I'm sure it was up there for Jody as well. We got to this guy's house. It's this custom-built house that they've had done. It's lovely. It's not huge extravagant. It's just beautiful. Um, and as we get to the drive, there's all these shotguns just laid out on tables. Uh, I don't, for some of you, that sounds like, oh, that's terrible. For me, that was like, this is heaven on earth. <laughs> I have always wanted as a child to just shoot things. And the idea that we're going to go somewhere in the middle of nowhere and shoot things, it doesn't get much better for me. So we've rocked up, and there's like all these different gauges of shotgun, and there's all these different pistols. And there's all these kids running around playing not near the shotguns and the pistols. We can all see how that goes wrong. Um, it's why I limp funny. And um, they were down the back and they were playing in these cars, having a great time. And he just had like these clay pigeon things and we were shooting them. Jodie couldn't hit anything. I did. She, 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 she posted on Facebook, um, my target, <laughs> made it hers. 
hashtag just saying payback. Um, and so she looked like she shot it loads, and she did. She, I mean, she was like that guy in that film, like a Thousand Ways to Die in the West, <laughs> where like bang, bang, and then all the thing, just pushing the bottles over. That was kind of Jodie. Um, she was great with the shotgun though. She flew. Um, it was really cool. So we had an amazing, amazing time. And then he cooked like what I can only describe to you as the greatest meat that has ever I've ever eaten. Like he cooked prime rib in this huge, and like he has like thousands of cattle. So like he picked like one of the best, killed it, gave us prime rib, and it was just like, I mean, he must have hated that evening because all I did was sit next to him going, this is the greatest thing I have ever tasted. <laughs> again and again, like a broken record. It was just so cool. And so this week I was like hitting him up. I was like, dude, talk to me about cows. <laughs> I am so screwed this Sunday. I feel like God wants me to speak about cows. Holy cow, what am I gonna do? What am I gonna say? And so we got chatting about the, the God has a cattle on a thousand hills. What does that look like? What does that mean? And so for me, that seemed really distant because there was no kind of value to it. It was a huge disconnect. And so he's not like some expert in the Middle East, uh, ancient Middle East. So he couldn't give me some value assigned to that particular um, time period. But what we did do was uh, we talked about as if it had happened in Monday America and reflective of the current value right here, right now, today. And so Josh's thoughts were some of the biggest ranches in the US would have 1,500 to 2,000 cows. Cows doesn't include calves, so you're talking about another 800 to 1,000 animals along with the cows. Most of these ranches would be 10,000, 15,000 acres. Most of the hills you would uh, find on ranches are in Colorado, Montana, Wyoming, um, places where you can see for miles to see all your cattle grazing on the hillside at one time. My mind thinks, wow, that's 1,000 ranches plus 2,000 animals in each. A cow right now is worth about $1,200 and 400 pound calf is worth about $500. If I'm looking over my ranch and I see 1,500 cows and 800 calves, that's about $2.2 million. So 2.2 times 1,000 is 2,200,000,000 US dollars. And so when he said that, I was like, oh my days. Now I am excited that my daddy <laughs> owns the cattle on a thousand hills. I'm like, hell yeah, man's setting up a farm today. So like, I, I read that and I was like, wow, that is a lot. And then I started to think about, well, that was thousands of years ago. And I believe God is a better investor than Donald Trump, who got his dad's money and would have been better in a savings account. Not that great a businessman. But I believe my father in heaven, I believe he knows what he's doing. And so when I thought about that, I thought that's pretty, that's pretty incredible. But we're going to have a look through Psalm 50 and we're going to grab out a few things. Um, because although we're talking about inheritance and about what God has for us, actually there's a balance to be had. It's not always this one-way traffic thing. There's a context um, to hold things, to keep ourselves healthy, to keep our attitudes healthy towards what God has for us and what's good for us and how we can be beneficial to those around us. So Psalm um, 50 starts off, the mighty one, God the Lord, speaks and summons the earth from the rising of the sun to its setting. Out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God shines forth. I like to say it's our first value as a church shining. Just throwing that out there. This first part, which he's saying, um, and also carrying on verse 3, our God comes, he does not keep silence. Before him is a devouring fire, around him a mighty tempest. He calls to the heavens above and to the earth that he may judge his people. Gather to me my faithful ones who made a covenant with me by sacrifice. The heavens declare his righteousness, for God himself is judge. Selah. So that first part, uh, literally... Throughout the Old Testament, you'll find God starting to kind of communicate with people in this particular manner. Now, this is a song, uh, it's a psalm, and the beginning declaration puts you in your context. 
by putting God in his position. So before you can kind of be ready to hear what God's saying, you need to be kind of put in your place before you're ready to embrace it. Because otherwise what happens is, and if we look at um, today, and if we look at um, kind of theologically speaking, what came out of Germany um, was higher criticism. So it's a place where you place yourself above the scriptures and you criticize and critique the scriptures. Well, actually for the Hebrew people, what it was about was actually, it wasn't about putting God in his place and you critique it. It was you putting yourself in your place and then hearing what he says. So the initial part of this chapter is about us finding our place and finding the awe and wonder of who God is, allowing ourselves to then hear what it is that he's going to say to us so that we're not just sitting there from a defense position ready to just batter up and swing and hit the ball away and not receive anything that God's saying. So one of the things I found helpful about this psalm straight away is is that often I'm coming to God and I'm like, I've got my agenda of what I want to go to and how I want him to fit my worldview and I want him to fit my ideology, I want him to fit my theology, whereas actually it doesn't work that way with God. God wants us to sit down, know who he is for a moment and then transform and challenge us and change our thinking and the way we view things. Uh, But that can't happen if we don't have a moment of just taking in and going, oh, okay, he's high above, he's righteous, um, he's awesome, he's amazing. Let me just take my place for a minute and let me get ready to hear what is what he's saying. So that's the way that things kick off. Um, and that's why it ends with the word sila, which a lot of people have taken as like a, like a rhythmic thing to kind of wait to pause and to reflect on what God said. But actually, it, um, some rabbis have said that it means to weigh, uh, which is why it's my daughter's middle name. So what Jody and I wanted for her is that as she grows up, she'd come to situations and she would hold, she would hold it, she would weigh it and see if it's of value to her before she wants to engage. And it's been pretty cool, actually. Names mean a lot because I've seen her like in the playground with kids and she sees these kids going crazy and she just stops. And she starts and watches for a little bit. And then she decides whether she wants any part in that or she goes away. And I'm like, Lord Jesus, may she do that the rest of her days. That'd be totally awesome. But that's what this, this moment is here. So it's like God in this context, let me just hold the weight of God's glory and who he is. Oh yeah, I can't hold that. Let me just check myself before I wreck myself. And let me get ready to hear what God's saying. And just to back that up further, verse seven, hear, O my people, and I will speak. O Israel, the people of the struggle, I will testify against you. I am God, your God. Not for your sacrifices do I rebuke you. Your burnt offerings are continually before me. He's letting them know now what the issue is. God is in his context. This is what the issue is. I will not accept a bull from your house or goats from your folds. For every beast of the forest is mine. The cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills. I know them. Like this intimate relationship with the birds. All that moves in the fields is mine. So... Straight away, he's saying, like, it's great you're doing this whole sacrificial thing, and I'm totally down with that, but actually I'm not going to accept these anymore. You've got a bit of a warped ideology in how you're giving these sacrifices to me. So the next thing he says in verse 12 um, is where cultural ideas have crept in from other societies and clans and peoples around them that have a different viewpoint on God and why they do sacrifices, and he wants to address that. So he says, if I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world and its fullness are mine. Then he asks a question, do I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and perform your vows to the most high and call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. The problem that is going on within their society and their context is the surrounding nations and their cultures are influencing and changing the way that they value things. So for example, the other gods that are worshiped on the different territories surrounding Israel are all about a God that's hungry. And because God's hungry, you bring him his breakfast, you bring him his lunch, you bring him his dinner. And so God is saying to him, like, if I was hungry, would I come to you? For realsies. Look what's mine. Everything's mine and the fullness of it. 
I wouldn't come to you if I was hungry. I've got this. I can totally feed myself. I'm a real boy. You know what I mean? God's kind of letting them know about his place. And then he goes, do I even eat the flesh of bulls? Or do I drink the blood of goats? Straight away, God is setting out his stool, his unique selling point. I'm totally different from the other gods. I don't need you to come and bring me chow. I don't need breakfast in bed. That's, that's not what this is about. And then he says, offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and perform your vows to the most high and call upon me in the day of trouble. So he says like, sacrifice was about thanksgiving. It, it, it's connected. Uh, 14 and 15 are connected. It's like um, a bit of poetry. There's kind of reflection. There's mirroring between the two. Dualism. So you offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and perform your vows to the most high. And then he says... And call upon me in the day of trouble, and I will deliver you, and you shall glorify me. He's painting the picture, and he's reminding them of how this came about. So the whole sacrificial system came out of um, their time of being slaves in Egypt. They'd been set free, and there was this expression of acceptable thanksgiving and worship to God, and a continuing reminder of his grace and his provision for them. And they would do these things rhythmically to remind them and to keep thanksgiving at the front of their attitude. Because that's what it means to be alive, to live a life that's joyful, to live a life full of thanksgiving, to live a life that is, is grateful for what's coming your way. And so they have this consistent rhythm to it. And so the problem God is highlighting here is he's going like, guys, when it's come to sacrifices, like, don't even bother anymore. Like, yeah, do I appreciate these burn offerings? Do I appreciate the fact that you're doing this rhythm and you've got this? Yeah, but the thanksgiving's gone. Like, it's just totally hollow. Everything you're giving to me, you're giving to me out of obligation. Everything you're giving to me is you think for some reason I'm like these other gods. For some reason you have this idea. But I don't eat the flesh of bulls. I don't drink the blood of goats. What this was about was this was about thankfulness. What this was about is that I'm a God that when you cry out in your situation, I deliver you. And then you glorify me by becoming a part of that same story of reconciliation restoration and redemption um, call upon me in the day of trouble and I will deliver you and you shall glorify me so he's spoken to his people at this point so he's addressing the people of the struggle Israel one who wrestles with God and wrestles with the man that's how Jacob got his name uh, and that's how this people he wants them to be people who wrestle with him not people who just take what he's saying and not just people who just um, go away from him and just throw in the towel like oh, I'm done with God don't like what he thinks but people who wrestle with him and struggle with him so he's saying wrestle with me through this idea and then he goes on to say um, to the wicked. So now these are the people that have no re- um, acknowledgement for him and who he is. What right have you to recite my statutes or take my covenant on your lips? For I hate, for you hate, not I hate, for you hate discipline. And you cast my words behind you. If you see a thief, you are pleased with him. And you keep company with the adulterers. I think actually there's a passage that kind of speaks to our, our generation at the moment. I work in an AP in Tower Hamlets, and I can tell you, geez, they know how to rejoice when someone's stolen or done something. It's ridiculous. I get kids coming in going like, um, NFA, no further action, done no, no further action. And they're all like celebrating, yeah, no further action. And it's like, were you there? No. Oh, okay, so you didn't do it. They're like, oh, man, bus case. No, you weren't guilty. <laughs> Busting cases, you were guilty and you got away with it. You didn't do it. You weren't even there. You don't even know what happened. The police raid your house and you were like, what, me? Huh? I have no idea what you're on about. Um, and they all have this thing where they just glorify and celebrate in this. 
and they were no different at this time. And so he wants to speak to them. You see a thief, you're pleased with them, and you keep company with adulterers. You give your mouth free reign for evil, and your tongue frames deceit. You sit and speak against your brother. You slander your own mother's son. These things you have done, and I have been silent. You thought I was like you. Oh, geez. You thought I was like you. But now I rebuke you, and I lay the charge before you. Mark this then, that you who forget God, least I tear you apart, and there be none to deliver. The one who offers thanksgiving as his sacrifice glorifies me. To the one who orders his way rightly, I will show the salvation of God. I will show the salvation of God. The one who offers thanksgiving as his sacrifice glorifies me. The one who orders his way rightly, I will show the salvation of God. I just want to say, after Psalm 50, they didn't throw away the sacrificial system. They didn't throw away all of the Moses has said before. They, they still kind of did that thing. But it was kind of like a call to get back in, in, in line with the song, to get back on the same note, to get back on the same hymn sheet, that actually their lives would be centered around thanksgiving and about joy and about gratefulness for what God had. And if you weren't in that place of thanksgiving and gratefulness where you could give to God out of your happiness, well, that's okay. That means you're in this other place it talks about where you need to cry out to God and he can deliver you. And when he delivers you, you'll have something to thank him about. And when you have something to thank God about, you'll be in a position where you can glorify him again. And and that's okay. If you're not in any of those positions and you're in the place of of, of the wicked, um, he puts out this warning going like, um, don't forget God, lest you end up being torn apart by him and there be none to deliver you. He is still there to deliver you. Um, the one who offers thanksgiving as his sacrifice glorifies me, the one who orders his way rightly, I will show the salvation. I will show the salvation of I will show the salvation of God. So when we look at um, Psalm 50, we're kind of filled with these, these different kind of images, these different places that people are at in life. And you and I fall into different categories. And at different stages, we'll be within the different lanes. We may be in a place where we are totally thankful for what God's done. And we're living a life that lives a life of thanksgiving and joyfulness for what he's done for us. If we're not in that place, I just want to say today, that's totally cool. The whole point of Psalm 50 is that we can have a place where we can cry out to him. He will bring the restoration. He will bring the healing that we can be in a place that glorifies him again. And that for those who are far off, he calls us to him saying that he is a part of this restoration story. What I found really interesting, though, is that the Jewish people looked at this passage completely differently. And I can totally understand why the Christian tradition completely rejected it, because they had this really weird, weird view. So the Christian view, when it translates cattle, is it translates it as cattle as in like he has loads of cows all over a thousand hills. Whereas the Jewish, um, the, the, the not entirely the Jewish view there's lots of views within Judaism but some of the ancient rabbis they speak of oh no 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 there's not many cows on a thousand hills there is one huge cow that spans a thousand hills and so I could totally understand why the reformers back in the 1600s were like no no we are not having a supersized cow like (laughs) that is that is not going in the bible holy cow that is not happening so their view of this was that there was this thing called Beermoth so it either translates as cattle or as this one huge giant super cow, like go-go Power Rangers, like they all combined together to be this big thing. And then it would eat up a thousand hills worth of like foliage and everything, and it would be replenished the next day. And they had this weird thing. What I found interesting about that belief isn't because I believe in them off in a huge giant super cow. Um, I don't believe that tradition at all. Um, what I found interesting about it was they said that this beer moth that was spanning over these thousand hills, their idea of 
the eternal and the everlasting and the goodness of God and his provision in heaven and everything was that this one cow would be the sacrifice, that this one cow would be the one that they would all feast off of and that it would sustain them for all eternity. And I found that so unbelievably fascinating. There's this amazing song by a band that I love. Jody doesn't let me play them because, uh, just because how they sound. They're like this kind of like countrified gospel rock group. I know, right? Like that is just, that is not okay. Um, but I love them. They're a group called Third Day and they did this song called Thousand Hills. And it goes something like, these thousand hills were never wrong. Footprints of a mighty God who brings us to our knees in praise. Um, and it just focuses on this one idea, the thousand hills were never wrong. And it talks upon, upon a hill my saviour died, a broken heart and a bleeding side. Upon that cross on Calvary, the bloody shed he shed for me. And it's this idea that he is the provision. And Jesus made this statement, which is associated with the Passover lamb, but could also associate with this ancient tradition. He says, you've got to eat my flesh, you've got to drink my blood, that he is the total means for the buy-in of, of salvation and he is the one who sustains us perpetually throughout all eternity through his sacrifice. I think in view of that and in view of these thousand hills and in view of the hill that he was crucified on, in view of the death that he died and the newness of life that he has and that he invites us to share in, the, the inheritance we have is Jesus, the inheritance we have is his sacrifice, the inheritance we have is his righteousness, the inheritance we have is his everlasting life um, not just um, longevity, but in the quality of life. Eternity isn't just longevity forever and ever. It's the quality of that lifestyle. He has given us all these things that actually compared to the Jews that were hearing this good, great news about these thousand hills and God's provision, we have something greater today that we've received in Jesus and we have something even more to be thankful about. So I'm going to end with this note for today's talk that today the value we're kind of... we're we're hinging on is, is giving and the inheritance that God has given us is one that hinges solely on the gift that he has given us and the gift he has given us giving is living and we've received life through God's gift to us um, but he wants us to live our lives for him so one of our values is your time is a priceless gift only you can give so we have people that volunteer at City Hill in the different areas of the church um, and that's one of the most beautiful sacred gifts because you're the only you in the world, so when you give your time, you give the most unique gift that's available. And bountiful giving is bountiful living. And it's actually, when we give to God, it's out of the joyfulness of what he's done for us. Um, there are loads of churches, I think, today that have got giving completely wrong. So I've been in church services. I remember going home, actually not even home, I was staying around a friend of mine, he's a minister, and we were just chilling out, and I was crashing at his place one night. And we were just like, for the lols, put the God channel on. And it was like Missions Week, which is basically Missions Month, because if they don't raise the money in Missions Week, it just drags out for a month until they get the money. So we were there watching Missions Month, Missions Week. And I remember we switched this on, and we were looking at each other, and we're like, okay, cool, let's see what happens. And then this guy is on this TV. Oh, my word. And he's on TV, and his statement is this. And it, it, it mentally scarred me. It grieved me. It hurt me. I couldn't believe he said this statement. He said, if you don't give today... I can't guarantee God's angels are going to protect you. When we look at Psalm 50 and their attitude is the thanksgiving's gone, but actually in today's world when we have giving in church, do you know what really scares me? Is we've got on the one hand guys who are amassing stuff for a selfish gain. You've got guys who are just milking the congregation like they're the thousand hills, the castle of thousand hills. They think the congregation, they're this big beer moth and I'm going to milk them for all their worth. You've got guys doing that. And then you've got on the other end of the spectrum, you've got the mafia now. You've got the mafia 
hey, God's not going to send his angels around to protect you this week. That's all I'm saying. Like, good luck with the world. Woo! It's real out there. You know what I mean? I couldn't believe it. I was like a mafia evangelist. This guy's on the sign. I was taking notes. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> that was one of the most mentally horrific and scarring things I've ever heard. And it's the reason why at City Hill, we don't take an offering on a Sunday and that all our giving is secret, in secret. It's on our website. It's done there. It's done by bank transfer or it's done digitally. So there's nothing getting past. I can't think of anything worse than a bucket anyway. It just, it just, I, just, I just don't understand who had a brainwave one day and went, if we had a bucket at church, <laughs> we could change the world. <laughs> it's a bucket. I just, I just I can't do it. Like, I get told all the pastors I'm accountable to, they're like, oh, so how do you do an offering? I was like, we don't do an offering. He's like, but you must talk about the offering, right, each week. No, I never talk about the offering. How many years have you been going? Oh, we've been going for like three and a bit, well, nearly four, well, four years now. Four years next week we've been going. And you don't take an offering. And they all look at, I get cussed out everywhere I go. And I'm just sitting on my breath going, at least I don't have a bucket, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> oh God, I can't stand a bucket. But for all of us here, the key thing for us is, and the key from this passage is, one of the things God explicitly says to them is if you're in a place where giving has lost its thankfulness and its joyfulness in terms of giving to the church, don't give to City Hill. 110%. Don't give anything. Do not give anything to this church. There's, there's literally no point. We did this a while back. Um, in our first year, we talked not about this psalm, but we talked about giving. And I said, like, there's no point in giving. Like, if you can give the tithe and be joyful, sweet. Like, I've done that for the vast majority of my life, and I've been joyful about it, and it's great. There have been times where I haven't been joyful, and I've had to get joyful. And then we had a guy who came here. They came with his family and stuff. And the thing we said was, like, if you, if you want to tithe, tithe. Cool, that's great. If you don't want to tithe, don't tithe. If you can find an amount you can be joyful about giving, fantastic. Be joyful. But, like, if you're going to come to God, like, he's going to be impressed that you've given him something this month, but, like, you're not even happy you gave it. Oh, Jews, Jews. Can you imagine God, like, he gives his son Jesus on the cross? But he gives him begrudgingly to us. He doesn't. Not withholding his own son. He gives his own son. And what he wants from you and I is whatever we do give. And even if we don't give to City Hill and we feel the call of God is not to give here as a local church, but to give to a charity or to give to someone we know in need. If that's you, that's cool. Whatever. Do that. But if you're going to do any of those things with like, without thanksgiving or joy in your heart, whatever you do, don't even bother doing it. Because it's dead. It's dead. We give because God has given to us. We give because the joy he gives to us. See who doesn't need your money. If we were bust and we don't exist as a church, I don't care. I know it's not going to happen because it's nearly happened three, four times. And he's just sent the money each time. I don't care. I'm not getting paid for this. I don't care. What I care about is that we live the called life that God has for us. I'm going to pray for us today and then that'll be it for this Sunday. Father, I thank you, Lord, that your primary goal for the children of Israel was that they would be thankful that you delivered them and live lives that are thankful. You didn't need any of their offerings to eat them. You weren't eating any of that stuff. And today, when we give to City Hill, when we give to the the needs and the causes around us, you're not there like going, oh my gosh, I'm in such need. Let me kind of milk this church for all I've got. That isn't who you are. You're about the reconciliation, the redemption, and the restoration of all things. And you call us to play our part in it, but you call us to be joyful about it. Father God, if we come to church this week and we've got so many hurts, so many things and pains weighing us down, Father, that's totally okay. All of us go through those seasons. But Father, we just cry out to you from our hearts. Would you save us? Would you deliver us? And would you bring us to a new place? Father God, would you also come and would you help us to be joyful about whatever it is we give in whatever format we give it this week to whomever we give it. Um, But ultimately in giving it, we are giving it solely with you in mind because we are so grateful for what you've done for us. 
Um, be with us this week, Lord God, and we just pray that our inheritance from you would be not just the deliverance you bring us, but the thankfulness and the joyful life we get to live out of it. In Jesus' name, amen.